Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to the second episode of the Sports Fixins here on wherever you listening to this podcast right now, just Anchor and Spotify. But as we do more of these, there will be more platforms to come. We are at four listeners from last week. Those of you who listened, thank you very much. Hopefully we can get to eight or something like that this week. Make some nice steady progress here on the podcast. Although, yeah, we'll do it for fun anyway, even if we don't get the viewership that we may desire Joining me in this another adventure into the world of sports is not really related to food, but in a food context, Justin <laughs> Minkley. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, buddy? How are you handling the Rona? No, oh, man. Rona is uh, it's getting deadlier. I think we have the third most cases in the world right now. I oh, actually predicted... I, <laughs> I predicted... Uh, was it by Monday we'd probably have 40k? We've actually surpassed 40k, so I'm impressed. Well, hey, as more tests come out, more people they're gonna say more people are sick, but are oh, they yeah. really? We'll never know. Oh, yeah, I have a feeling a third of the country is infected at least, but the thing is, we don't have the tests for that, so <laughs> all right, so on today's show. For your appetizers, we will talk about some esports. And what do I mean by talking about the esports? Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about the esports. So basically, there's been a lot of different things that leagues and teams have been doing to help combat boredom from the coronavirus and make them money. And we're going to talk about some of those things and some of the more painful things. I'm looking at you, Fox Sports Detroit. Oh, gosh. What did they do? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. And then uh, the second appetizer will be NFL free agency since Monday, just a general overview. This will not be related to our deep dive. I promise I won't go into a Bears rant then. And uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about like things like the Brady signing, other stuff that's gone on since we last were together. Since last Monday, I guess I should say, because today is Monday. And then the third appetizer, Justin Minkley, has some stuff about the New England Patriots that he would really like to get to that he has been reading. Our deep dive today, we have examined some film, thank you, free NFL Game Pass, of some of the Bears free agent signings. So we'll talk about what we see and what we like and what we don't like. And something that I talked about on Justin's radio show, the rap sheet, a, a note that I have about the Bears tight end grouping that I don't understand and makes no sense. But I'll save that rant for a little bit later. And dessert today, get ready to please your palates with the most pleasing of the sports documentaries from Justin and I, some of our favorites. And again, the dessert, a much more casual section. So who knows how many we will have. I certainly have some good ones in mind. So anyway, let's get into appetizer number one, and that is basically what places are doing to combat the boredom from the coronavirus lockdown. I know personally I'm a big fan of Formula One at the moment, the European Racing League, and what they are doing is they've done a, a virtual series, different of their esports uh, people, esports organizations related to them. Uh, have been doing online racing leads through the F1 2019 game. And actually, if you were watching ABC7 News here in Chicago last night, the virtual Grand Prix that Formula One did on Sunday made it to the ABC7 News. And they actually put that up. There was a couple of wrong things in the uh, 
in the script about it, but it did make it to the news. So even news stations are getting are getting slightly desperate uh, to do things. On the more personal front, I'm participating in a 2K tournament with my good friends at A and A at eight, Austin Gillentine and Andrew Stevens. It's going pretty well so far. I've already won my first game there. We're gonna do a Madden tournament next week, and I don't have NHL, but they'll be doing an NHL 20 tournament after that and they are very good people one or both of them will be on this podcast in the very near future so if you're listening to this on spotify when you're done listen to the whole thing but when you are done punch in a and a at eight and uh, go listen there that's really good stuff right there and if you really like me there are you can find some episodes where i am involved uh but anyway so that plug done and out of the way there's been some fun things going on, Justin. It's it's really nice to see in the age of the internet and the age of esports the huge potential benefit not only to esports, which is something I quite enjoy, video games, right? But also a really cool way to still get your sports. Yeah, it is. And one of the things I know the NBA tried doing was they wanted to have um, either people play as some of the teams and try to determine the games or try to simulate certain teams playing each other. One of the humorous things that came out was with that was how Phoenix would get crushed two games in. Because, <laughs> you know, they don't have to roster. <laughs> but <laughs> people would go off on them online. So it's a way to keep fans interested. Uh, the NHL did the same thing. Uh, they tried monitoring the Blackhawks and the Capitals, for example, like how they do two games later in this simulation. <laughs> It's it's something, you know, to look at as fun. Yeah. It's nothing serious. It's just fun. Like, the F1, you know, they've got some real drivers participating, but it's nothing for points. It's just something for, for amusement, just something uh, for entertainment. NASCAR is doing the same thing with iRacing. They've actually got a lot more of their current drivers than F1 has. Uh, they did a race, like, their, you know, virtual races are, are kind of a thing, and it's cool that they're such in-depth simulators that you can do that kind of properly because you don't have a horrible AI like, you know, 2K or Madden or uh, NHL. But, uh, but yeah, so that, there's some fun things going on with that stuff right now. Now, some of the things that TV networks are doing, I mentioned that uh, ABC7 out in Chicago mentioned the F1 Virtual GP on their newscasts. This was, I don't remember if this was on last week's show or not. I think I saw it uh, after last week's podcast here. Um, NBC Washington DC, NBC Sports, I should say. NBC Sports DC is airing games of the Wizards and Capitals remaining schedule, but as 2K or NHL as it may. Uh, NBCSN Chicago has taken a different route with it, not necessarily esports, but for entertainment. They were replaying the 90s Bulls, now they're replaying the 10s Blackhawks, so. Like playoff games and such, so fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, because you can never have too much of the '90s Bulls. No, you cannot, my friend. Uh, and it's a chance for me to actually see Jordan, and not a highlight reel. The other, <laughs> this is the one that I was referencing in the beginning. <laughs> I don't know why Fox Sports of Detroit hates its viewers. They're replaying 2019 Detroit. I don't know why anybody I don't know why you would do that to anybody voluntarily 
for reference, in case you, in case others don't know, and Justin, I know that you're not the closest baseball follower on the planet. Let me type in Detroit if I can actually spell it. <laughs> the 2019 Detroit Tigers won 47 games. Oh boy, is that the league worst? Yes. Oh, geez. One of the league worst ever. One of the worst ever? Yes. Well, how yes, many did they lose? 47 and 114. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Why you would air those willingly, I have no idea. Yeah, that Detroit Tigers pitching staff, a four and a half ERA by Matthew Boyd was the best. Their best starter was Boyd. He lost only 12 games. So, again, why you would do that to somebody, I have no idea. But, you know, the other part of telling you all this is I is I wonder, Justin, because, you know, while esports is kind of this niche thing right now, you could say even though the League of Legends, the world final for League of Legends was the most viewed sporting event in the world last year, do you think that this is a chance for esports and video games really to completely bust into mainstream, or will they stay in our niches in our basements? It's interesting you ask that, because I kind of thought they started busting through that scene anyways. I mean, there was the shooting that happened in Jacksonville uh, to one of the guys they lost, I think. Um, if you see the Twitch commercials, you know that there was an online gamer who won this award. And so it is, I think it's been pretty close to that anyways. But I, I agree with you, Mike. I think if it hasn't cemented itself already, I feel this is the time to absolutely do it. And I think, especially for people who play sports games, I mean, it's, it's different from playing other types of games, of course. Mm -hmm. But when you play sports games, you have people who obviously play with their own teams. And this is going to get really competitive with fans of those teams now. So I think not only could you have like a major breakthrough if there wasn't already, like with this becoming a much bigger thing, that you could have this in a way we can't even fathom with fans of other teams. I mean, think of, a, think of like a team that's bad, like the Cleveland Browns, right? Mm -hmm. Think of how even those fans, like in large numbers, could even show up and play like with their own team. Mm -hmm. it, it could be one of those we could really take it to the next level, not just break through. I think like it could be pretty much close to sports. Uh, it, well, for those, the games would actually have to be very good, which unfortunately they're not in that state right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think this is interesting, <laughs> certainly because. Esports is not really regarded as a sport. There's the most sports fans, at least nowadays. Well, maybe like a, in the last couple of years, kind of looked down on esports. Like we're not really a thing. Like we, like esports shouldn't be on ESPN, and it, they shouldn't not shouldn't exist. Maybe, but they're not that big a deal. And now it's your only alternative to actual sports. So I think at the minimum, esports gets some much needed credibility because yes while esports doesn't require you to do 
a hundred box jumps that go five feet in the air. It does require a level of skill. You have to be really smart to do that. You have to have really, really good reflexes to do that. Those guys do do training. And I mean, you gotta, it, it sounds weird, but having to sit there and keep that level of concentration that does take skill. Do you think this also shows some type of divide between some generations? I mean, take me, for example. I think it's a cool thing. Am I going to watch it because it's the real thing, though? Or is it because it's not the real thing? Probably not. But right. would, would people younger than us, you know, flock to this because they, they, this is what they know? I could see that. Like, I could really see that. Like, I agree with you. Like, I have a lot of fun. See, my thing with esports is I watch the Bulls because I like to watch the Bulls. But with esports and video games in general, like, on the internet, I watch it because of the personalities. Or the personalities that you figure out are really cool. Like, Lando Norris, the Formula One driver. He was hilarious. He called some F1 drivers. He called his team boss. He called his chief strategist. Before his uh, his virtual the official F one virtual race yesterday, like it, yeah. there was some he's so funny. Like there's some awesome stuff. He had a hundred and fifteen thousand viewers on Twitch by the end. By the end of the race, he had a hundred and fourteen k on Twitch. And I don't know if he's streaming on YouTube or not. The U the F one Twitch channel had sixty k, and he had a hundred and sixteen k. And I don't know how many were on YouTube. But there was probably at least 200,000 people watching that on the internet, at, at least. And that's not counting, like, some of the personalities that were in it or some of the other drivers that were in it that were streaming it could have a bunch of people, too. So, like, it, it's really, really cool the kind of potential that has, and it also gives people something to do that kind of looks like sport. Like, iRacing is supposed to be an ultra-realistic simulator. I'm sure NASCAR fans love watching that. And... The iRacing simulator race for the race that would have been this weekend was televised on FS1 instead of, like, where the race would have been. They just put that on there. It it was on actual cable television. And other than, like, the League of Legends World Final that's on ESPN every year, this is the only time I can ever remember esports being on like cable tv and not twitch or youtube like it was on actual television and now it's not esports it's just ai versus ai games but now video games like in dc are on actual television it's really really cool it's really really cool. cool too yeah, it's some awesome legitimacy to to video games, something that's a hobby for a lot of people, but some people kind of look down on. So I thought, though, I think the esports stuff is awesome. Um, the other thing, since we're kind of talking about coronavirus, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has officially said, now nah, we're not going to do the Olympics. I think, first off, everyone's saying, finally. You know, they made the right move, and I think they kind of had to because Canada w- withdrew. I think they were the first country to withdraw their athletes. Um, the This is just a good move overall. I know Japan has been pretty good with combating this overall, um, mm-hmm. but it just it's just not a good look to keep this going, even if it seems like uh, we're starting to get back into the groove of things. The question I have, 
actually, I have two questions going forward with this. Um, number one, do you set a new day going forward as to when to do this? Because Japan built all this stuff. They spent a lot of money. Do you still hold the events there? Or the other question I have is, let's say you don't. Do you tell the athletes uh, for 2024, do you tell them, yeah, you're already qualified? Because the big thing that stands out to me out of all this is not just the swimming thing, but also the gymnastics. Because a lot of women's gymnastics and men's gymnastics have already qualified to go. Do they have to go through all this again? I mean, knowing what we know about uh, the sexual abuse scandals with the women's gymnastics, what do you do? Like, what, are the, what is the right answer for after? And that's kind of what I'm thinking more besides, okay, finally, they canceled it. Well, what I'm thinking is, number one, I think there's going to be a new date because, I mean, you do have four years. You can, but until the next Summer Olympics, you can just shorten the period between the two. I think, you know, the 2020 Olympics are going to happen in some form, just don't know when. Um, and, yeah, you know, it really sucks to see the that I really like uh, get canceled. Um, because beach volleyball and swimming and diving, well, not not as much diving, but swimming events are kind of my low-key sports pleasures that I really like watching. Um, and I got called volleyball for three years, so that's nice. Uh, but anyway, look, I, I think it's the right call because how is how are the Italians supposed to go? How How is Italy supposed to go? How is Japan supposed to go? China's recovering now, so they'll probably be ready. The Chinese, I guess, could go. But there's some, you know, and it's not, I'm not saying the smaller companies, companies, countries don't matter. Like, how's Iran going to go? You know, this is the one time where we we bring the entire world together and and all these athletes in, whether it's like Azerbaijan, who has five people competing in three events, or the United States that has, you know, a bevy of people for every event, or the Canadians that have a ton of people, or, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, who has like one person to go run, or Ethiopia, who has five marathon runners, two sprinters, and and somebody do long jump and, you know, may uh, what the African team that qualifies into into the basketball like you know fun different things or all the the awesome teams from down to the Caribbean that play baseball the World Baseball Classic just before the Olympics like there's a bunch of really cool stuff that goes on around Olympic time and in the Olympic kind of setting like the world come together kind of thing. And it, while it really sucks that ain't gonna happen, I just don't get how how you can have some people go. I know that Olympic protests are a thing; those are usually for different reasons, and these are straight pull-offs. But like you said, the Canadians pulled out. There's no way you can get the Italians to go. If the Italians go, I don't think anybody else will go. Yeah, and um, you got the Australians too. I mean, yeah, the, how really... you can get Australia to go? The Middle East can't go. Uh, yeah, Brazil. Brazil's gonna fall into political turmoil. They can't go. This is. I, I, it is a good move, but the but the questions of do you reschedule versus, you know, you can't reschedule and okay, what do you do for the people who qualified? You know, do they automatically I've, qualify again? 
I think you rescheduled because you'll, you're going to have people that have qualified for this Olympics that won't be able to qualify for the next one because to qualify for the Olympics, you've got to be like above the screen. Like you got to be way up here and you're only in that zone for a shorter period of time. And if you get down here, if you get, you know, way above the screen, now you're like, now you drop a little bit, you could be out of the Olympics completely. Do you think, and this is, this I think is a good idea that just spawned in my head. Because you have the Winter Olympics that come out two years from now. Do you think that would be a good time to reschedule if they actually went forward with it? Like do Summer and Winter Olympics together? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think you would put it next year or put it um, uh, later on this year. And just for the reason, because it is such a fiasco of travel. It's a fiasco of television. If it's a fi- it's a fiasco of coverage, it's a fiasco of everything. And media coverage or just AFI coverage or travel or anything would be horrible trying to do two Olympics at the same time or or back to back, quite frankly. I don't I think that would be a little too much stress to just dump it all into twenty two. Uh where is twenty two anyway? I have Where's no the next idea. winters? I, um, I we'll have to find that. The reason I ask that is because NBC has the potential of losing a lot of money with these yes. Olympics. And I Oh my god, winter. the Winter Olympics are in Beijing. I well, mean, that's not bad. Uh, hope it's all gone by then, like all gone, down to the microscopic gone. <laughs> hey, wh- where do you think it's going to be gone from first? China, Italy, or the U.S.? Hmm. I'm going to say China with this one. How long does it take the sleeping giant to wake up? Because if you wake up the American industry, this thing will be gone before you know it. I think the American industry is, like, too lazy to care right now. Because we're all okay. in bed, <laughs> inside. Then China. Italy, Italy in trouble. I don't know. I think the U.S. is in more trouble. At least Italy is, like... Italy has, like, an actual safety net. Like, I didn't realize they were number two in health. Like, medical standards and, and stuff really? like that. They were number two in the world. Huh. It, they just didn't listen. Not only did the U.S. not listen, we don't have that, you know, safety net. Well, you can thank that to the eye-bleeding idiot occupying the White House. Oh, it's previous administrations, too. Let's not pretend we, like this is all on Trump. We've got a wonder drug. It's this and this. It's a wonder. No, uh, uh, doctor comes to the podium. Reporter. Hey, is that true? Uh, no, 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 it's not. Uh, the evidence is anecdotal and it's not true. Oh, well, well, there goes my hope. Thanks. Yeah, when they were saying that certain drugs were going to be good when, you know, the FDA only lets them be used once in a while, I kind of thought, yeah, this this may not be good. Um, but going back to NBC on something. Right. NBC, uh, it, it's been reported in even Al Michaels' biography. Uh, you can't make this stuff up where he said, basically, Sunday night football saved NBC. Well, the path where we're going right now, there may not be football. 
So NBC is going to be in some trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do both the Summer and the Winter Olympics together, even though you said that, yes, that could be hectic. You'd have to cover two basic sports events that are global in the same year. I, I mean, NBC has to consider at this point maybe doing it both in 2022 is the best possible answer. But again, you're, uh, what you brought to the table was a valid reason, too, because everyone could be overworked at this point, and who knows what yeah. could happen. All right, moving on to appetizer number two, NFL free agency and trades and such. Since we last went on the air, we have breaking news. As of this podcast, as of five minutes ago, we are recording in the one o'clock hour here on Monday. Kyle Allen, who did start a few games for the Carolina Panthers, is gone. He is a Washington NFL team member now. (laughs) Yeah, he has... Reunited with Chico, with Ron Rivera. So the Panthers are rolling with Bridgewater and XFL standout P.J. Walker. Yeah, I was actually going to say, P.J. Walker was signed early in the day uh, with, I believe, he played for Houston. Yes, the Roughnecks. Played for the Houston Roughnecks. That was the only team that was undefeated in the XFL before they canceled the rest of the season. I like the quarterbacks that Carolina will have. Although the rest of the roster, I'm very unsure about. We talked a little bit about them trading offensive line members with the Chargers and receiving Russell Okun. Okun's nice, but he can't stay healthy any season. Um, Basically shoving Cam Newton out the door, saying you can seek a trade. Even though he doesn't want to be traded, you can seek a trade. Yeah. Oh, Oh, by the way, Eric Reed has been cut too. It's going to be a, a matter of time before some other people are probably cut her out the door, you know, like Greg Olson was. Um, Panthers, though, I don't think it'll matter. I, I still think they'll be in last place, you know, when the league decides that they should probably play games again. I don't think they'll come anywhere close. Wow. You don't, th- you don't think that uh, they'll do anything? I mean, they'll be in last, so that's something at least. Um, wow. But I, I don't the, – the roster turnover is too great at this point. You can tell they're in rebuilding mode. They know it's going to take probably a year or two until they're competitive. And, and look at the rest of the division. Whatever you want to say about the Falcons, they at least bring some competition on offense for the most part. I New was Orleans, just going to say the Falcons. Uh, New Orleans – this past season, I didn't think they would win the division. If you read jdsportscorner.wordpress.com, you would know that I was not confident on the Saints winning the division. And I wonder how that's going to go again, knowing that if Breeze has an injury, Taysom Hill, the every man is going to have to play quarterback. It depends on who they draft. And, oh, by the way, Tampa Bay has a nice, great addition to quarterback that uh, isn't Jameis Winston and probably will throw 30 interceptions a season. Yes, they do. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won the ultimate gold in free agency, signing an old, immobile quarterback. Mr. (laughs) Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Why he would choose to spend his remaining years in the NFL dying behind a missing offensive line, I have no idea. Um, 
I don't think he's taking them to the NFC title game. So, hey, look, everyone, it's Jets Brett Favre. This is, I was going to ask you, is this the version of Michael Jordan going to the Wizards or Kurt Warner going to the Cardinals? Because I kind of feel you could go either or in this option. Uh, I don't as- think it's Fat Jordan. I don't think it's Fat Jordan and I don't think it's Fat Shaq. But it's close. Because Brady's starting to lose it. And Bruce Arians is a good coach. He's got good weapons. But he has five dead people in front of him. Well, here's some things that I found interesting. You can read on why Tom Brady has picked Tampa Bay in multiple articles online. Uh, This for him, and I think I even told you this, I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa Bay was the place he went because the offensive pieces are in place. The receiver set is there. Bruce Arians, Brady even mentioned that he loves Bruce Arians' offensive schemes. Remember, Arians was with the Steelers all those years when Brady played them, and he watched the offense go to work. And the defense looks like it's starting to settle a bit, especially with the front seven. Secondary still needs a bit of work, but we knew that already. The offensive front, I, I do think that poses a great question going forward, but... Here's a plus. The running game seems to have been solidified as well in free agency. I'm thinking because you have an older QB and an older head coach establishing the run so that Brady gets ready would be a good thing. Remember, Brady is a quarterback that if you hit him early, he doesn't look the same. He's come from that same generation of players like Matt Ryan and Matt Hasselbeck, um, where if you knock him out of rhythm early, They're going to be out of rhythm for the entire game. But I found it really interesting how Brady asked for the receiver's phone numbers. He asked if they were good people off the field. I'm I'm a little mixed on what to expect going forward. Because as we know, Tampa Bay, at least they'll sell out uh, seats. But when it comes to being good, it's, it's been a while. I mean, the thing was... I was in seventh grade the last time the Buccaneers made the playoffs. That's quite a long time ago. So, yes, it is. So uh, we haven't really seen the Buccaneers be great. It looks like maybe they have a chance to do so. It, it'll just be fun to watch once the game starts back up. I didn't think the reason Brady was as bad was because of, um, you know, he was deteriorating. I, I pointed this out to a few people, and I thought, it looks like there could be some sabotage going on, because I don't know how you go with the receiver set New England had last year and look that incompetent. Well, that may be a fair point. I think the receivers are just are not that good. I do agree he's getting a receiver upgrade, but he's obviously downgrading a coach because Arians is not Belichick, just... By proxy. And uh, this will lead into another conversation. Here on the second appetizer on Sports Fixins is... What do you do in New England for a quarterback? They've got Brian Hoyer on the roster. They really like Jared Stidham and he is on the roster. Uh, I am going to go check how much cap space they have. But if you have the cap space, Jameis... I I do like the Jamison uh, Winston option quite a bit. Um, 
the first thing, believe it or not, if I'm New England, that I look for is I look at the roster first altogether. And look at it defensively because, of course, you know you're not going to have the type of defensive performance that you had this past year going forward for another 16 games. I mean, that was historic to some level. But you have to think, okay, what quarterback, if I plug in here, could help us win the division minimum? I mean, this is not going to be the same team that we've known for the past two decades. So it's fair to ask, okay, which quarterback could we at least win the division with? And looking at the quarterbacks available right now, I mean, Cam Newton pretty much is a guy that once he's fully healthy is a good option. I like the Jameis Winston option, and I've told you this before, is because he knows how to make receivers, meaning that he throws the ball, he knows how to find targets. Yes, of course, he makes a lot of interceptions, but he really gets the ball going in the air and looking at some of the other quarterbacks around the league, the two examples that I think um, stand out. And one of them has been rejected is Andy Dalton. I don't see Andy Dalton going there. I thought it was much more likely he'd come to the bears uh, and Derek Carr being another one. It's a Derek Carr's days are numbered in Oakland. We know that was probably going to be a thing anyway because he cannot beat the only team that stands in the Raiders' way in that division. So it's very it's very hard because, again, they have both Garoppolo and Brissett on their roster, and they let him go. And now mm-hmm. they have this fourth-string guy at the time who has the ability to be the starter. And it's not that I don't favor the guy you know kind of how we thought with Brady or whatnot but because of how there's turnover on this roster are they a better team or can they stand their ground with this guy at the quarterback and I just don't think so right now well what's so incredible to me is this proves that the ultimate bet that got made by Robert Kraft didn't work Because if you will remember, Bill Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo around. And the reason Garoppolo got traded is because Belichick lost the power struggle between he and Brady. And it was at that point that everybody said that Belichick is not going to survive in New England as long as Tom does. And then Tom decided he wanted to leave. So now he left them hung up. They do have a fourth-round pick in Jared Stidham out of Auburn that they love. And look, if Bill Belichick likes it, Hey, I'm tempted to go with it, but I just don't see what they have for a receiving core. And this is their free agent signings. They grab, and by the way, $3 million left in cap space. So there's no way they can get Jameis unless they really do a lot of moving around. They signed up a defensive tackle for um, four a year. They got Damari Bird a wideout for two and a half mil a year. They did almost nothing on defense. They got Brian Hoyer probably to back up. They extended Devin McCourty. They franchise tag uh, Joe Thunny, one of their guards. The only wide receiver they've signed just far and again, they don't have that much money left. They need money for the draft. Damari Bird played in 11 games last year, started three for the Cardinals, and had 359 yards and 32 receptions. Which isn't bad, considering the reception numbers, but only 350 yards. He's done almost nothing before then. 
I know that if you're Belichick, you can take a Walmart cashier and turn him into a half-decent receiver, but the magic beans are going to come up with nothing at some point. And it might be now. And I think the magic, like you said, the magic beans are going to come up empty a bit now because number 12 isn't playing quarterback. I mean, that guy knew how to make wide receivers tick for the most part. Um, so, and the $3 million in cap space, I mean, that stands out to me going forward. It means they're going to have to make a trade of some sort. Um Kind of like what I said, Dalton's not going to be the option. Yeah. Carr, I don't think, would fit unless Belichick uh, knows how to light a fire on them. And yeah. Alex Smith, the other one that stands out to me is I don't think he's ready to return yet to the game, period. I mean, let's just say the season was ready to go today. He's still rehabbing that leg. Those are the only three players that I can think of off the top of my head that possibly could be guys you trade for or or acquire and well let's uh, let's say that you really want to do something else with the quarterback position if Alex Smith is healthy by time camp comes do you give him a million bucks and say here come prove it see if you can win a camp not guaranteed or something guaranteed to use a little extra cap space to try and see if you can get him in in camp um and one final question in free agency. So the Bears were in the QB market. They picked up Nick Foles. We'll talk about that when we get to the Bears signings. The Bears grabbed on to uh, to Nick Foles. Uh, a lot of guys got their quarterback. Bridgewater went to the Panthers. My question to you, Monsieur Migli, uh, uh, who got to Carolina, uh, Bridgewater went to Carolina, I was trying to think. There was another one that just popped into my head on the on the spur of the, spur of the moment. Oh, uh, Tannehill. Right, there you go. Philip Rivers yeah. going to the Colts. Thank you. Uh, where does this land, guys? Like now, Jacoby Brissett's in the backup role. I think for no reason. Oh, by the way, the Kyle Allen trade is for a fifth. That's a little bit of a high price. Uh, where does this land? The guys left on the market. Brady to Tampa Bay. Another big one in this context. What do you think this does for for Jameis Winston? The guys that are left that don't have a home, there's not a lot of places left for them to go. Is there a world where Jameis Winston Winston is simply too expensive to have a team next year? Well, this is a really good question because – the teams that traded or the teams that added a veteran quarterback, um, we, we talked about Tampa and if we talked a bit about the Panthers. I, I got to tell you, and, and I don't think I've told enough people this, this Phillip Rivers signing is just a dumb move. Yep. I mean, the offensive line is set, but this, the, the big thing with Rivers, and that, which has always been the case, is his throwing motion. And how that was going to be the older he gets. And it came to fruition that even though the receivers were there last year, he still got picked off by the dozen. It didn't even matter if the secondaries were bad, like the Chiefs one, for example. Um, Indy, you don't really have those receiving targets, strangely enough. Okay, yes, you have T.Y. Hilton, but now Eric Ebron's off to the Steelers. 
So your tight end option really isn't there. Um, can Phillip Rivers not just make receivers on a new team, but can he cut down the interception ratio? And oh, by the way, I thought Jacoby Brissett is still the starter of this team. He just needed to heal up from that MCL injury. And bang, I thought they were ready to go. Now, moving forward with him, but I consider that this organization, when Jim Irsay sticks his nose in, uh, is very incompetent when making a right decision going forward and in anything involving investments. We'll see how that goes. Um, to answer the second part of this, for a team like Jameis Winston, I think, first off, the teams with salary cap. So going back to a team like New England or even Indianapolis, as I just talked about, this is a thing that um, teams who need quarterbacks would have to take into account. You know he's expensive. But also, if you're a team like San... Uh, I almost called him San Diego. If you're the Los Angeles Chargers, there is a clear path that you don't know how you're going to be in five years. To Rod Taylor, they said they want, it, they want him to be the starter. I don't buy that. I think he's serviceable for a short amount of time as a starter. He's more of a backup. They could be looking at something from the draft. And again, that depends on how the Rona basically affects the draft from now. But you do have teams like Miami, for instance. You know, would they be willing to? Would they understand that signing Winston could put a dent in their plans? And this is, you know, if they draft Tua, um, do, does a team like the Rams? I mean, I know they're hamstrung on cash, but they've been getting rid of assets. Do, is that a team that knows that Jared Goff may not be the answer? Gurley's gone. You need a guy who can at least stay upright, even if he throws an interception instead of holding on to the ball and getting sacked. I don't know what the right answer is for a situation like this, because while Winston's market commands that he he is a starter, at least. I kind of have to agree with you where I don't know what team could take him in. I mean, and there are a couple other teams um that I know there are a couple of other serviceable quarterbacks out there that just aren't getting looks right now. So it just, I don't know. Yeah, your quarterbacks left in free agency, Brett Hundley, Marcus Mari- uh, Mariota went to the Raiders, sorry. Uh, here's your ones left. Huntley Flacco Winston. Winston. Right. He got resigned by He Trump. did, okay. Yeah. Uh, Flacco, Winston, Stanton, Josh McCown, Trevor Simeon, uh, Mike Glennon, Blaine Gabbert, Matt Moore, Blake Bortles, Geno Smith, some of the guys that are left that have had experience. Now, I, I promise this will be the final question about this. Let's play GM for a second. If you're Cincinnati and Miami is calling you and they want Joe Burrow really, really bad or... Whoever's calling you on the phone is like, hey, we want Burrow. We'll pay. Oh, Detroit. Detroit calls. We want Burrow. We will pay out the nose. Do you sign Jameis and then take those phone calls? 
Because if you sign, because uh, I'm gonna look, go look up their cap room while I make this point, but I'm fairly certain that they have plenty of cap space. Because they'll, you know, get rid of Dalton. Do you think that maybe there's a world, there's a place where Cincinnati makes a trade, includes Dalton in the trade, so that some of the money moves out? And they get a whole host of picks and and good players. And instead of getting one Joe Burrow, who everybody seems to agree is going to be great, but he is, of course, a risk, they instead go out and get a Jameis Winston, who is a... uh, I'm going to go ahead and say he's a proven commodity because you can talk about the 30 picks all you want, but he led the league in yards and touchdowns. Yeah, he's the eighth player, I think, ever to hit, was it, 5,000 yards? And he's the first person ever to go 30 and 30 in a season. Yeah. So if if you can somehow make him better, I don't know how, but if you can, if his eyes are better or whatever, then you, he, I think he can still be a really good quarterback. The talent is there. So if you're Cincy, what do you think about signing up and signing up uh, Jameis Winston and then Miami comes calling and says, hey, we want him. What do you want? And then you say, all right, well, I want uh, Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Devontae Parker and picks. Like, if you can get some ridiculous price for Burrow, do you consider that? Like Burrow and take Dalton's salary so we get him out of here. And then if you want to draft quarterback, you can do it later. Or you can take Tua to, if you want to project him, if you don't sign Jameis, if you sign somebody older. I think it depends on the team you trade with. Well, of course. Uh, it's, it's, no. <laughs> the right heel has to be. I mean, Detroit, you know for a fact Stafford's not going to be benched. For Burrow, yeah, you, they, they'll probably develop him. I, I, of course, again, Detroit's blundered a lot of things, um. So I don't know. I feel like that that wouldn't be a good team to trade to them anyway. But a team like Miami, or I mean, I think it depends on the team that needs the quarterback now. So Miami, obviously, they're going to sign Fitzpatrick or keep Fitzpatrick, they're still looking at Tua. I think that's the big one for them right now. If you're talking about a team like the Chargers or the Lions, I would not want to make that trade because Burrow's big thing that I've noticed is it took him a while to actually be really good in his college career. He has to grow into it. And throwing him right into the fire is just not a good idea, which is why I think he'll be a bust, because he'll be drafted by a team that wants to throw him in. Um, it's bit, I could understand it, the team that basically wants to start him immediately. If I'm the Bengals, I'd take that offer. Because you know that he's probably going to get banged up a lot. We know college and pro are different. On yep. a lot of levels. Yep. And he's going to feel the wear and tear, at least, um, if he takes a lot of shots 
if he plays for a team like Miami or Cincinnati. So I would say probably just look for the team that makes the offer. But I do think throwing Dalton in in that, in that situation and maybe getting Javis is, is actually a really good idea because you do have A.J. Green still on the roster. You have people who can catch passes on this roster. It's just the ineptness of the people on offense, uh, mostly behind center, that just drag it down. If you could get somebody who doesn't, who isn't decrepit at quarterback or a not bad coaching staff, I still think John Ross can be something. Yeah, it, it mostly because he's a pretty fast guy and he can open up a lot of lanes in the passing game down the field. So, I think it's it's worth thinking about and debating within the franchise but we'll see again who offers and again you know if you're let's say that a trade gets done with miami guess what they got a bunch of first round picks this year they have three and one of them is the fifth they have five and 18 and 26 so five could be cd lamb you could get another piece for Jameis if you like if in this scenario, you're bringing Jameis. Miami could be a good trade partner because you can, you know, you could bring in a guy like CeeDee Lamb and get some help uh, in the defensive back end at 18, too. But anyway, all that speculation aside, we're about at the 15-minute mark, so we're going to move on to appetizer number three, and this one's going to be a Minkley focus. Mr. Minkley, you have some remarks about New England that you found interesting recently. Yeah, it, it ties in with the whole Pats thing uh, that we talked about earlier that I said. So remember I told you that it looked, I said, it wasn't really the receivers. It looked like that, it looked like there was more to do with play. And basically reading from the stuff that I've taken away from, it appears that Brady leaving New England wasn't really a Bob Kraft thing, but more of a Bill Belichick thing, noticing that he's the weak man out. And this could explain why we saw Brady not play at a good level past a certain point in the season. I don't know if Belichick had a switch flip in his head and realized, oh, the, he, he's probably not going to last past this season. But here's the thing, Mike. Look at their receiving core. From last year. And, and take the Julian Edelman part out. Dorsett was pretty solid. Even though he was one of the running backs catching passes out of the backfield. You had Mohamed Sanu that you traded for from Atlanta, right? He is this magnificent playmaker and whatnot. Barely on the field. I mean, this wasn't even a matter of he wasn't getting the ball thrown towards him. No, he wasn't on the field for a good part of it. Let's also go back to Demarius Thomas at the beginning of the season. Now, one would think if you have a Super Bowl MVP wide receiver, right, you know he's going to be double covered. Demarius Thomas is at least competent enough to line up on the other side or maybe line up underneath him to catch passes to advance even if it's small yardage. I felt like the later the season went on, that New England kind of pulled the mat out from under Tom Brady. And it wasn't until you see some of the losses they have where everything looks awful 
I mean, I'm not saying like Brady wasn't bad either, but I'm saying the way the receivers played, you could kind of tell that something wasn't adding up. And reading some of the stuff about why New England didn't want him back, we know Kraft has been in legal trouble, so maybe he has to take a limited role. But we know he loves Brady. The coaching and the GM standpoint basically on. And face it, Brady had been playing in a system for over 20 years where he had to make sure it was Bill's system, where it, it had to be done to Bill's version of perfection as well. Now he doesn't have to play by those kinds of standards anymore, which, going back to earlier, it's going to be quite a sight during the course of the season to see how Tom plays, not just you know for the first quarter of the season, but how he's going to play during the course of months like November and December, too. So that's basically what I wanted to say. And with this, I wonder something. So it's assumed that the reason that these two are splitting is that New England is unhappy, or there was unhappiness in New England. Kraft loves Brady, but not Bel- but not Belichick as much as he loves Brady. Belichick and his personnel people have fallen out of love with Brady. They want to move on to the future of the Patriots like they've done with so many players over the years. But Kraft has kept Brady here so long. And there's, you know, a couple of different types of people that say, no, it's Brady carrying Belichick. No, it's Belichick carrying Brady. What do you think are the chances that, like, Brady runs a wing in Tampa and everybody realizes he's the best quarterback ever? Or, you know... Jared Stidham leads the Patriots to the playoffs and everybody realizes and everybody finally feels solidified in just how far above any almost anybody else Belichick is. Or do you think that there is like I'm I think that this is a power play by two people, Brady and Belichick, that will work out for neither of them. I would, I would kind of say more of the latter, but I, I'm thinking more at this point um, that this will probably backfire on Bill Belichick more. And here's why I say that. Do you remember a man by the name of Scott Pioli? Yes, I do. Ah, very good, very good. So this is what I've been gathering um, from everything I've been reading. So for those who aren't familiar with Scott Pioli. Uh, He worked with the Patriots during their early championship heydays, and then he went to be, I think, president or GM of the Kansas City Chiefs during the early part of last decade or later part of the 2000s, I want to say. I I think it was around the same time where um, Matt Castle wound up going to Kansas City when he came in. And the big thing with Scott Pioli was all about control. I mean, he, he basically was not just Bill Belichick's main guys. He was a guy that took care of a lot of things to make sure things were under control because that is, a guy, that is the kind of guy he is. He wants everything under his control. But the problem was with Pioli that 
there was so much control and so much fear that everyone felt and to some degree knew that they were being watched and listened to 24-7. To which it came to a point that Todd Haley, the head coach of the Chiefs, said he believed whatever cell phone he had was bugged. And what I'm gathering from this whole situation is we kind of saw this with Pioli going to the Chiefs, and when it wasn't good, the doors really opened to how bad this really got. And I'm starting to get the feeling that with this whole situation done, and it, now, again, maybe the quarterback that they have in their center can actually do things, but I'm starting to feel, Mike, that how Belichick and the GM run things there that it could be very similar to how Scott Pioli ran things in Kansas City. The only difference is they've won six titles. Kansas City didn't even win a playoff game in that stretch of time, so it was heavily more looked at and scrutinized. But if you are... Mike, let's just go with this. If you are being watched and listened to to that scale, for not... I, I don't want to even say 20 years. I want to say at least five there is a, a there is a good part of that organization that I believe would probably once it becomes exposed, you find out how deep it is and you find out a lot of things like maybe this is why Tom leaves. I mean, we've heard about the family reasons. We've heard, yes, this is a dispute, but the amount of control Belichick wants and wields. This is this, Scott Pioli is the only guy that I can think of that actually comes close, and this does not have a good ending at all, in almost every circumstance. Mm-hmm. Well, those are those are bold thoughts for Mister Justin Minkley as we get through the appetizers on sports fixins at the one hour mark. Thank you for making it this far. Our first episode was two hours, and if we live up to our billing, our second one might be around long. So, into the deep dive. Are you ready to descend into the depths of the stake? I am. I think this is going to be really fun. All right. Uh, yeah. Let us descend into the entree, which is a more specific look. Since, well, we are in Chicago after all, or just about there. The more specifics of the Chicago Bears free agent signings, we're going to do a deep dive into them. And the beauty of this is, if nothing happens next week, we could do a deep dive into somebody else, say the Seahawks. We could go from my favorite to Minkley's favorite, if we so wished, because there's nothing going on. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so here's what the Bears have done in free agency up to this point. They have... Rate them off. Rate them off. Resigned linebacker Danny Trevathan to a three-year deal with worth $21.75 million, max of 24, guaranteed a deal of 14. Guaranteed money of 14. They have signed Robert Quinn, a veteran edge rusher, five years, 70 million bucks, 30 million guaranteed, so it's basically two guaranteed years. Jimmy Graham, two years, $16 million bucks, $9 million guaranteed, and a no-trade clause. I was just going to say, I found that out yesterday. There's a no-trade clause, unless it's his request, I believe. 
There is a Dion Bush signing. One year, $1.4 million. Artie Burns is also a Bear, the former Steeler first-round pick. The Bears have also, for reasons I don't understand or know, decided that Barkevius Mingo was a good idea. And they signed him up for $1.1 million a year. Mm-hmm. They also signed another safety. Let me find his name. Jordan Lucas. He was a safety in Kansas City last year. He is there for one million bucks. So you have two million dollar, literally million dollar uh, safeties to play around with in the back end next to Eddie Jackson, who's a phenomenal player. Uh, so, well, first of all, I say let's go ahead and see if we can grab a grade for the Bears up to this point. I, yeah, go ahead. You start this. All right. I am going to throw a big fat C on this. Because I don't know what you think you're going to do with Artie Burns, but that's not good. Like, really not good. He's out of Pittsburgh for a reason. He's He had five tackles last year. Yeah, that's pretty so, bad. He got run out of town, and he only started six games in 18, nine games in his rookie year. He did finally have a full season in 17. It, this is just... <sighs> Brian Pace is doing this weird thing where he's gets some guys, and he just swings so hard at them. Like Jimmy Graham, or, or... Well, I think Robert Quinn was a correct decision. And that's the only thing that saves this free agency class from being a from being an a D or an F. Well, we talked just, about you talked about this more on the rap sheet this past show, but I think it is important to let the listeners know like why some of this is bad. And yeah, I'll get into that. But yeah, but just just let me just one more thing about my point here is I find it odd that he swings so hard for some dudes. Like he just throws a book at him. He just throws the money at him, and then other positions. He just, like, won't spend money for a good player. Like, he will just bunt at safety. Like, he'll just boot. Like, sometimes he swings for the homer. Sometimes he just lays down a bunt, right? He bunted at corner. Like, you went from an old Prince of Mukamara. You probably need him to let him go this year or give him one-year extension because he is getting up there. He's going to fall off soon, but he was Still a decent corner. Is a slot corner. He can. He's. Not, that's not in his thing. He is a good slot corner, but he's not a number two. That's just kind of not his skill set. So you need a number two corner, and you go for a garbage already burns. Unless there's something coming that I don't get. If there's a corner that they love in the draft, I I would hope they would draft corner or slash safety anyway. If there's a corner available in the draft, if there's something coming via trade, 
I just don't get why he swung. He swung for like four years in a row. He has gone so hard at the tight end position and has done so badly. It's almost hilarious. But yet at safety, he just keeps on bunting. It's almost as though he doesn't think the safety position is important. Yeah. And and we kind of saw that in, in a similar fashion when it came to his tenure in New Orleans. That especially the much deeper in the backfield for defense, the little it mattered. Um, but the, but this is very worrying for multiple reasons. Uh, the tight end position, especially. What does this say about the coaches? That maybe yeah, now I'm gonna give Pace a little bit of credit here. He hit, for his tight end selection. We know Trey Burton's been a big one. Now it's Jimmy Graham. And there could be something he has in mind that could be that could be um, reciprocated. So think of obviously his time in New Orleans. He was used to a quarterback like Drew Brees throwing to Jimmy Graham, and I could kind of see where Ryan Pace would go with the signing. Okay, I understand. The problem was, and still is. That your head coach is an idiot. And we know what Mitch Trubisky's strengths are. And, and I know we're going to get to that a little bit later. But mm. if Mitch... But bear with me here. Okay. Mitch Trubisky, we know what type of quarterback he is. He plays very well outside the pocket. He is very good at playing on the move. Even if that means like a split second, he is not a pocket passer. And we know Jimmy Graham is not a blocking tight end. Thus, we put two and two together that Mitch rolls out. He finds an open Jimmy Graham. He completes the pass. Jimmy Graham's big thing is Seattle tried to use him for a blocker and then as a cover blanket. Green Bay tried to make him the second go-to guy in which their system is still, I don't know what it is, run first. This could be one of the few times Jimmy Graham could actually be something. But again, the approach by Matt Nagy is, it's my scheme. And we think Ryan Pace has probably botched this. The thing is, I won't know. Even if I watch this team play, I know what I'm getting coach-wise out of Matt Nagy because we saw it time and time again last year. You mean him being a blithering idiot? Yeah, that. <clears throat> okay, yeah, I want to break... Ball and then kick a field goal instead of trying to get extra yardage. That's because that. he didn't want to... No, no, no. No, no, no. You're missing the point. He didn't want to lose yards. And kneeling loses you two. Okay, if I hear a coach say that, I know you can't do this. I want him fired immediately for pure bread incompetence. Like, seriously, you don't want to lose yardage at the edge of field goal range when your kicking situation is something that you have botched horribly. 
You didn't want to lose yards. So you kneeled, which loses you. Just QB sneak, dummy. You at least have the chance to go forward. Like, seriously. Are you stupid? Yes, that's the answer to that question. Yes, very, yes. This man, this is what blew me away with Nagy. This man said, you, you, you let your starters prepare. See, I, I will always harp on this as the, as the moment I knew the Bears season was screwed. You let your starters sit out the whole preseason to prepare yep. and play the Packers, right? Yep. I can't believe this man literally said to a press conference, and no one jumped on him either which surprised me even more. I don't have a play call for fourth and three. When it came to either converting the fourth down to go extra yards and maybe get a touchdown or why he decided not to go for the fourth and three and kick the field goal instead. That's you know, that's, they, they beat the crap out of him, just not the reporters, because they'll get their credentials rescinded if they do. To this day, I don't understand how there wasn't a revolt over that. Because as you know, Mike, when it comes to head coaches, and particularly offensive-minded head coaches, you should have plays for every type of situation. It happens. If you don't, I don't know how the hell you're a coach. The fact that this man publicly said, after a dithering loss on national TV, to open the season... In Soldier Field to the, the team that's considered their top rivals and, and stop it at this point. They're not. Um, to, to say, I don't have a play call for fourth and three. Should have been, had him fired after that alone. And it's not only I, that. I have never heard a coach say they don't have a play call that openly. And look, it's not just that, Right. And we'll get off Nagy and get back to the free agency thing for a second. But if I can indulge in a Matt Nagy rant, I will because I think he's the worst coach in football. Um, the fact that week one of last season, of his first season, the 13-3 and three season, right? You don't play your players the entire preseason, which a reminder, Belichick and Brady do. So I love how you think you're just genius. I love how he thinks he's this genius who's smarter than everybody. When his quarterback played one year in college, half a season under a degraded system under John Fox, and he doesn't think he needs preseason reps. They storm the gates, they come out great, and then they piss away the lead. They're dead gassed by the end of the season. They lose some stupid games. They blow it in the playoffs because he calls games like a scared child. And they come into year two with high expectations because they did just go 13-3. and Mitch might be a dead guy, but some people think he's going to be an MVP somehow. Some people think he's going to break out. I don't know why, but some did. The defense should still be great, even with... Vic Fangio gone. Chuck Pagano, supposedly a great defensive coordinator. Khalil Mack is still here, and he's healthy this time. And he'll actually run, we swear on it. And you don't play anybody in the preseason. 
Again, you don't learn your lesson. You have no idea how to call a running game. You have no idea how to call an offense. And you have no idea, like, literally, the fact that the playbook is in his hands makes no sense. It shows that Ryan Pace is losing some kind of power struggle or is just a blithering idiot, which transitions back into him being a blithering idiot. Yes. Here is the NFL rankings, the positional spending. This is courtesy of SportTrack.com, which is awesome, by the way. It's a really cool website. Okay. Cap spending on the full roster. The Bears have spent $104 million on the offense. That is 10th in the NFL. They have the fifth most spent on defense. You can think most of that to Mr. Mack. This is their spending by position, okay? And I want you to think what you think of the Bears and these positions when I read you these numbers. Okay. And this is with the current additions, by the way. 12th most money at quarterback for two QBs, so that is Foles and Trubisky. They are dead last in spending in the running game. That's like Tariq Cohen, Mike James, like they don't really commit anything there. They are 11th in Robinson, like, okay, so there's some, there's some pieces there. They are the number one team in the league. They spend 21 million cap dollars on the tight end position. And to boot, the tight end position accounts for 10% of the Bears cap space. That is the most in the league and it's the most in the league by quite a bit. The offensive line, 24th in the league in O-line spending. The D-line is 12th. Your linebacking core is 4th. Cleo Mack. Your secondary is 18th, and your special teams, 29th. So, special teams, okay... You have no kicker, you have a good punter, but where in the world are they getting, where, where is he getting his personnel assignments and why? And what I mean by that is no running back spending. Justin, what does every NFL team that has won a title recently have? A competent running game. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and it's, Again, and I've been hearing so much of this lately, it makes me sick. He's still he's still not out of New Orleans. What does New Orleans what does Sean Payton really like to use in his passing game? It's at least some type of running game. But well, in his passing game. He enjoys scat backs and tight ends, right? He also enjoys running backs who can be dual threats too. Yep. And let us remember, the Bears let Tariq Cohen or uh, let Jordan Howard walk in favor of Tariq Cohen. Tariq, Tariq, Tariq Cohen, and then drafted him, and then drafted Jordan Montgomery 
Sorry, I was switching headphones. My uh, wireless ones died. Um, then they drafted David Montgomery, who they didn't use. Basically at all. They wasted David Montgomery. They instead, in, in like the second coming of Jesus, that is the great Taekwon Mizell, was used ad nauseum last year. But it's so weird to me that they commit so little to the running back position and they commit so much to the tight end position. And then if you look at their defense, their defensive line is 12th, their linebacker is 4th, the secondary is 18th, and honestly, if you take off Kyle Fuller, which is 5% of total cap, and you would replace him with another, like, $6 million dude or an $8 million dude, other than paying Kyle Fuller, they would be much lower. They'd be in the bottom, what would it be, sixth in the league, if not for Kyle Fuller's $12 bucks a year? Like, it's so... I find his, his overdrafting of positions and his yearn for having ingrained this position be loaded and this be barren, I don't get it. It confuses me. I just don't understand it. Well, again, and this kind of goes hand in hand with kind of what I said already, um, where this is why it helps to read a biography of a coach's background. And most importantly, Matt Nagy's. Because Matt Nagy played in the Arena Football League. He was the offensive coordinator when the team he played for fired there. So he was the OC. Forget this. I I forget what team it was. and It may have been like 2003-ish. The OC was fired. He called the offense, basically. And he put up hella numbers. He put up career highs, but the team was terrible. And, and yes, you can make a point where, okay, well, if you put up numbers, then the team must have been bad on the other side of the ball. Well, they replaced the OC by week eight. So please tell me, like, they, they must have figured out that this probably wasn't going to work long term. Now, why is this important I bring this up, a biography of the coach? Because this stupid moron has yet, all these years, 20 plus years in, in any type of football experience, this Jamoke hasn't learned to run the ball when it matters. Now, let's say you trade Jordan Howard and you get David Montgomery and look, they use David Montgomery in the preseason, right? So they knew that there was something they were going to get. Mm-hmm. This then comes down to the head coach because obviously the GM is picking good guys. Like you even said it yourself. They picked David Montgomery and they wasted it. Well, waste and wasted. That was Matt Nagy. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I will give, look, if Ryan Pace wants to be my my director of college scouting or an advisor to my draft, he can. I'm just not letting him make the first round picks. I think a a turtle in its shell. No. I think a turtle in its shell could have told you to pick Eddie Jackson. I think 
the other the other teams are complete idiots for not taking a chance on him in the second round. But like he's done it. Cohen, uh, I don't think Howard was his. I think Howard was maybe the year before he got there. Cohen, good pick. I gotta give him credit for p- t- picking Eddie Jackson. Still, right? Good pick. Uh, David Montgomery should be a really good pick, but they're gonna wind up wasting him. He's a solid mid round drafter. But the high-end stuff is is scary to me. So, yeah, I give Pace credit for that stuff. So, go ahead. Continue. But let's look at some of the positions as well. Like, okay, we talked about the running back position. But let's also take a look at the special teams position as well. I mean, granted, the kicker thing, I don't actually put on anyone. I think because of how... The whole Cody Parkey situation, it was all about accuracy. I understand that. This past season was hit or miss with the kicking position. It was more hit, I I thought, than actual miss. But again, coaching blunders led to some of the kicking chances to not go into fruition. Or when they did, that is when Nagy outcoached himself and should have actually gone for something like, oh, I don't know, a fourth and three? Um, so uh, special teams, I think we, we knew from the get go was going to be a little, not good, you know, Mm. statistically in this position, but some of the other stuff that actually is on pace too, like signing these guys to longer term deals, take the Chris Long thing out. Some of the extensions they gave to some of the guards, some of the older guys on that line, not good. That shouldn't have been put in as put in for long term either, and I and I think the reason why that number is so low, I think it was 18th. You said for uh, the old line number. Yes, I believe it was 18th. I think the reason why it's 18th, and people would probably say, well, you know, that isn't really that high. Well, that's because Chris Long's contract was practically waived. Well, Kyle talk- Long. Yeah, yeah, that guy, Kyle and, Long, and also. <laughs> The, the reason that that spending is so low is because, again, another place where Pace has done well is the uh, cheap rookie deals of Cody Whitehair and James Daniels. Yeah, and, that, and that's a pretty smart thing. So I understand that maybe one of those two guys could be extended. But again, the other members of that line, you kind of have to eat that money. And I think that was a big issue that we talked about in part with the offense, which is why, again, you run the ball. So this goes back to running the football, using the running backs. And, oh, by the way, when you talk about the secondary, especially uh, in terms with Kyle Fuller. Now, Kyle Fuller, we've seen his career can kind of be hit or miss depending on who's the coach and also the coordinator. But I also do think that – the front office didn't make as many good decisions with additional help. I like the idea of having Prince of Mora there, at least starting. I know the injuries was a big part of it, but the veteran leadership that he displayed when he was on the field really did help the defense at times, which was clearly something that is not there with Khalil Mack. So... Yeah, but unfortunately... And Danny Trevathan, and I was pretty sick of watching Prince getting toasted in man coverage. See, that part I understand. Like, the, you knew there was going to be a half half. You knew what was probably going to be there with Prince, anyways. 
Uh, but this, but you, the Danny Trevathan thing is accurate too. And I think this leads into something else. We talked about this on the rap sheet, and it, it's very true. I think I told you that this was the worst case scenario that the Bears could have done. We watched last season, and we were pretty much certain Danny Trevathan was gone. Yeah. And not only did that not happen, the guy that they should have resigned, Nick Watkowski, the Raiders again pants the Bears yep. and get a quality linebacker. Now, the fun thing with Nick that I, I kind of value more than anything else is that you can play him in the secondary a bit. He was, he was proven to actually play in the secondary when he was given those plays or told to. And he's definitely a linebacker. So he's kind of a hybrid player. I mean, when we talk about what Shea McClellan could have been with in the in the Phil Emery era, I mean, you're looking at me like that. But remember, when Shea McClellan came in, he was basically a spy. He was supposed to be a hybrid type linebacker. That's exactly what Nick Wachowski was. Hey, and hey, <laughs> we don't say that name. <laughs> Bears fans are never allowed to mention him again. I mean, that's, that's your one use of that name. But but is it true in this circumstance? Is it true that the one player that they looked for in a hybrid type linebacker all those years in the, in the previous years to maybe replace one of their other linebackers on the outside, like Lance Briggs, for example, you finally got that with Nick Watkowski. You let him walk in free agency, not to any other team. You let him go to a team that has pantsed you with the Khalil Mack deal. They showed it overseas this past season. Now they're getting someone who can actually not just play linebacker, but in the secondary too, and that is a need for the Raiders. Yeah, and he was he's a nickel linebacker, and he can do stuff like drop back into coverage, and I, I really like watching him. But, look, I understand you want leadership. I'm just worried that by the second year of that Trevathan deal, he's going to be really slowed down. So you're going to have to overdraft linebacker, and you're going to have to pay even more money to linebackers. But anyway, we're a bit distracted from where we were originally going, which is fine. I sat down between last night and this morning and watched me plenty of Robert Quinn tape. I, w- I want to hear about this, because you, you mentioned to me that there was some Robert Quinn tape that really stood out to you. And Justin has sworn to me that he has watched Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. I watched a little Foles myself. So I really wanted to break down the Robert Quinn deal. And these are the things that stand out to me with him. Okay. So Dallas's front seven last year after the suspension of Robert Quinn is over is anchored by a dude who is supposed to be one of the best players in the league in DeMarcus Lawrence, right? Yeah. Big old number 90. He's had his issues, but at his best year, 14 and a half sacks in, in 2017. Two-time pro bowler, younger dude, age 27, X-factor in Madden, like he's, and that's considered like a tight, semi-formal top 50 ranking in the NFL. He's on the NFL top 100 list that the peers make up. Big guy, right? Yeah. 
Now, just like with Mac, you can see flashes in some of these plays. I watched some, a good bit of the Jets game, and basically every Bears offensive play, and yes, you should be glad, you should be happy, because I punished myself, even though they won, it was still bad. I watched every play from the Week 14 game because I wanted to see where his motor was in Week 4 versus Week 14. I would have done Week 1, but... He was suspended for a couple of games. Yeah. So, with Robert Quinn, what I noticed in week four against Kelvin Beecham and what I noticed against Charles Leno is this is a guy very clearly seems, and I don't have their defensive playbook, but this is a dude that seems to very clearly be a veteran and very clearly understand what his job is on plays, for example, there's times when he's supposed to be a stunt, like he's supposed to be a decoy for an interior lineman, and they switch after the snap, basically. So what you'll see Quinn do is he'll, boom, he'll brush his tackle, and then he'll slam into the guard, and then that way his defensive tackle can get to try and stunt around, or if they're a nickel, the second defensive end, or a linebacker, can stunt around and go after that tackle who's now, in theory, stunned or has already been pushed back. Another thing that I love about Robert Quinn, his feet are going forward most of the time. He's always trying to use his hands. I bring up Lawrence in this context because... So there would be plays where they switch in and out of their different packages, and especially in this Bears game. So you'll see some plays where Leno has Quinn as his assignment, and then there's others where Lawrence is Leno's assignment. When Quinn was on Charles, when Quinn was attacking Charles Leno, what you saw a lot was Leno's hands were out to try and block, but Quinn wasn't grabbing. He was hand-fighting, trying to get the arms chopped down, trying to get around him. And even if he wasn't getting around him, going, there was a couple of instances where maybe if Quinn ducks inside, he can go get to the quarterback. But nobody's perfect. But there, you can see the maximum effort. And I think this makes the Marquevious Mingo signing make a little more sense. Because Quinn is going to need plays off on the sideline to... Just take a minute. Even more than your personnel packaging, just because he's such an intense player. Now, Lawrence, on the other hand, who was also supposed to be a great defensive lineman, ranked higher than Robert Quinn, there's some plays where he just engages with Thano and locks out the arms. Now, I know a guy who goes to WIU and is on their football team. He's a very good friend of mine. And we were doing a draft show. This is a couple years ago. We were sitting in my room watching tape. I think it was Jonathan Allen we're looking at. And he says something about the guy who's next to Jonathan Allen. Because he locked his arms. The tackle and the defensive end both had arms like he's like, that's either taking a playoff or this guy's just bad. Yeah. Because he's done. That's over. You can't do anything. There's nothing that DN can do. Not in enough time to get to wherever he is supposed to go. If you lock arms, there's nothing you can do. 
unless you are strong enough to push the guy to the ground, which you can't do in the NFL, unless you have some special circumstance or you're a, a freak, that's not going to happen. This this play is over for him. He's basically just an occupier. And what you would see with Lawrence is lockout. There's plays when he's in facing, he's switched over facing Leno. He's got the arms locked out. Now there's other plays where he's really, really aggressive and he's really getting after, he's really getting after Leno and he's beating Leno and he's just short of the quarterback. Again, that's going to happen. But there were plays on the field where he would just take them off and just lock the arms out, move his feet, and pretend like he's doing something. Like rest himself up for the next play or whatever. I never saw Robert Quinn do that. I saw plays where Quinn understood that it's over. Like, there was a sweep to the opposite side. He got off the blocks good. Beats Leno, is going around him, sees that the run's going the other way, and he kind of turned off the juice. And he still not jogged, but he still kind of... He didn't full dead sprint, but he's still like making sure that nothing stupid's going to happen. He's still moving toward the play. But he kind of understood there's no point in dead sprinting cuz he's not going to make that tackle. So the crap that I give Khalil Mack a lot is that his motor doesn't exist. He's either hurt or he has no motor. It's one of the two. Because again, with Khalil Mack, what do you see? Sometimes you see these great and Mac is just, boom, snap comes, bang, he's out like a rocket, beats the tackle, shoves him away, turns the hips, tries to get to the quarterback, but Prescott just gets it off. And then there's other plays where Mac gets off the line and he hits the tackle. And that's it. Yeah. There's no there's a lack of either motor or care or whatever. There's just a higher level of focus with Quinn that I really, really like. I like that he keeps the hands moving. He keeps the feet moving. He's really aggressive. I think there's some inside turns he could make sometimes, but that's not his game. That's not his game. So And and it was really funny because I noticed this. This could just be me thinking about this, or he could be a really smart player. There's a play in particular with the shotgun. The Bears are in shotgun. Uh, off the line, Leno is sliding. Quinn attacks him, attacks him, attacks him. He goes around the outside, doesn't get to Mitch because he tries to go around the outside loop around the back. The guard stayed tight. The tackle went out a little wide. So if instead of trying to speed rush him, he would have bull rushed him, he probably gets the sack. Unfortunately, the next play wasn't going to his side. Next play, he bull rushes him. So Leno showed he like he isolated himself and then was able to kite Quinn around and then the next play Quinn changed his angle of attack. Now it could either be the defense doing that or him doing that, but I think it's still worth pointing out. Also, another thing I want to bring up that I saw on tape. There is that I found one play where the Bears ran to the side of Robert Quinn. One. Or at least went out there directly towards that side. It was a direct snap to Cordero Patterson 
they're slanting. So the offensive line, so it's a direct snap. The line slants that direction and just runs and goes to hit somebody. Leno runs right by Robert Quinn, completely whiffs, and Quinn demolishes Cordero for a five-yard loss. There is a read option run, and this is and this is another reason I watch this. This is Trubisky's best game of the year. He's actually using the legs. He's actually making some intelli- He's actually making some intelligent decisions. The play calling is still complete bupkis, but Trubisky is doing well in this game. There is a read option touchdown that is completely the mark, at least in my opinion, Lawrence's fault. Read option with the running back on most read options or on most plays. Force guy, contain guy, okay? So a dude is supposed to, like, pinch, the, you know, you're you're going to have a guy coming in to force him to this side, and you have this guy on, on a guy on a contain, okay? Now, read option comes. Trubisky sees Lawrence cutting hard. He bit so hard on the running back. But the opposite end is also coming for the back. Somebody didn't understand what they were supposed to do. If Lawrence sits, that play doesn't happen. Mitz loses yards. But since both bit, I guess I can't say it's Lawrence's fault then. If they both bite, that's why the touchdown happens. If this side doesn't, if they recognize it's a read option and doesn't bite, then I don't think the touchdown happens. Quinn seems a little bit smarter out there. It just he just seems to have a, he just seems to do a really nice job of field awareness. From what I watched, I'm no guru, but I'm just simply stating I think he's got a really high motor. He's really high effort. He does really good stuff. Like the sack he has against the Jets in Week Four, he attacks Beecham, attacks Beecham. The ball's getting held forever. He finally beats and he comes up and he reaches the big old arm and smacks him and brings him down. Like, it's like, you know, three, four seconds in, like the ball should have been out, but it wasn't, so it got punished. He punished the quarterback for it. So he's a really high effort guy. He's really good against the run. He's really good for, all right, your job on this play is to occupy people, knock people out, like... There's a run in, I believe it's the New York game. Quinn is on the edge. He hits tight end. Snap happens, hits the tight end, hits the tackle, engages the guard, and the linebackers coming through onto where he once was made the tackle. And also, another thing for the Bears game, Trubisky escaped a lot in this game, or at least more than he has that season. In that game, he never was able to escape to Quinn's side because one of the advantages of not locking out your arms and getting steered by the offensive lineman, always keeping your arms short and clubbing away, is Quinn is very easily faster than that offensive lineman. So if Mitch tries to escape to that side, he can just pounce left or pounce right and get him. So he does more than just sack the quarterback or good or do a good job on the run. He takes out a portion of the field that you can't bail to because you've got a really athletic guy there. 
So I love Robert Quinn. I, I love this. I love this signing because what Leonard Floyd was nev- never able to do was get to the quarterback, which is what he was des- what which is what he was brought in to do. Quinn can do that. Floyd could play the run a little bit. Quinn can do it better. And it's, it's he's just simply a better player. Floyd could never capitalize on the athleticism. Quinn is a strong guy. This is one of this is one of Pace's best signings. This could be his best. I have such high hopes for Robert Quinn this year. Especially when Akeem Hicks is in the game. Because I was yeah. Akeem Hicks is the most underrated player in football. He is the most underrated defensive lineman in football. He's the most underrated player in the game. Because when he is in the game, when he is healthy, notice how much better Khalil Mack is all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Akeem Hicks and Robert Quinn on the offensive on the defensive line is a terrifying concept. Because Akeem Hicks is one of the best internal linemen in the game, short of Aaron Donald. And I see some Donald games where I like Hicks better because Hicks has that big, uh, not just bear because of the bears, but he's got that big bear mauler archetype. He's like, ah, he looks like a, he looks like a grizzly standing on his legs. And he's always fighting through and he's clubbing it. So he's got that defensive lineman ferocity to it. And Quinn has that same thing, but on the outside. So, let me ask you this. If you are the Seattle Seahawks, you have a mobile quarterback, but I would like to remind you that for all the issues I have with Kolomak, he's just a freak athlete. Yes, Akeem Hicks is very slow, but if he gets to you before you can blink, that's a problem, and Quinn is a solid athlete too, right? Who are you going to block? That's a really good question. Because one thing you have to know that I've been taking notes on, talking, obviously, Wilson knows Quinn quite a bit. So, I don't know for sure, because I want to see how Quinn is. <clears throat> if, if he plays like how he did in Dallas, you may have to double-team him. Hicks, though, is, is probably going to get healthy, and to me, I think he's the defensive captain of that team. Yeah, um, at least in production. Yeah, we, we're to be, I, we have been told that Trevason is like the locker room captain, but the on-field like production captain is Kimex. Oh, and by the way, when you're deciding who to block, I would like to remind you that Roquan Smith is much too fast for you to think about not blocking, in case the doomsday scenario comes and he's left unprotected because Russell Wilson will be turned into powder. At this point, it's better to run the football, period, because your offensive linemen get the push off. And what I'm, what I'm thinking more about the situation here, I mean, obviously John Gruden exposed it a bit when they played the Bears, was to power up the middle. Yep. And I think that would, could possibly be the only thing they would have to fix on. And it does depend on Roquan Smith and how he covers his gap as well. But this is, with how it's put, I not only agree that Robert Quinn signing is a very good thing. Let's go back also to Barkevius Mingo. Mingo played with the Seahawks as well. Granted, he didn't have as much of a major role. He blitzed once in a while. But if you got 
both of them or you swap them in and out at times to get some rest. I think yeah, that's that what I'm thinking. Th this could be one of the best defensive fronts in football by far and away because you have for the first one of the things to me that makes it a top defensive line and not just, you know, football, but probably in the league uh, going forward. There's a lot of depth here. They considered adding depth. And that's one thing that I know when the Seahawks won their Super Bowl, this was how they basically got there. They rotated eight guys on the defensive front and they worked it that way. The 2007 Giants did the same thing against the Patriots. To have a front like that be as potent and be and and basically dominate that side of the ball from either start to finish or a snap of the finger even during a game. That is what could put the Bears in a top position going forward. Yeah, we know what the other risks are too, but the fact that Ryan Pace addressed this part, because we knew that when Akeem Hicks went down, uh, blitzing and the pressure, which was Chuck Pagano's forte, it just died. Yeah, it's like, non-existent. Yeah, I mean, yes, you can double cover Mac as much as you want, but there was no need for constant protection up the middle for a lot of the teams that played the Bears on their on the offensive side of the ball. And now adding someone like Quinn, which I, I'd like to point out some of what you said about him having the power and the ability as an athlete to be very quick, even when protected, and to adapt. I think that's made him much more dangerous as a player. He's not just about sacks like he used to be with the Rams. He's actually, in my my opinion, I feel like he's perfected his game. Uh, and the stint in Dallas showed it with how he's been able to adapt in and out. It should, most of the time, if you're not getting sacks, most people won't actually see what you're doing. Yep. And it's, a, it's an art form in and of itself. So I think the Quinn signing is a great one. That is very clear. I think this makes the Bears better if they're healthy. This is, of course, with the preface, if they are healthy. I think this makes the Bears' defense better. Now, I'll save the tight end thing for last. Now we got to talk about the quarterback position. So, yeah, I hate Pagano's scheme. I think his schemes are outdated and the soft shell zone doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and I think part of the reason they didn't have near as many interceptions is because they couldn't get as much pressure. And if he, if if Pagano defense from last year comes back, and they can't get pressure, they're going to get killed because their their coverages suck. His coverage schemes are terrible. Yes. And again, watching that Dallas team uh, game, there's a play where Dak Prescott's rolling to his right. He has a guy open thirty yards down the field who's jumping up and down. He just don't see him and he gets sacked. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so the quarterback position. So now the question is, if we've established that if healthy, and again, that's such a huge stressor with any of these situations, the Bears defense will be more dangerous than ever, which we believe it will at least up front. Well, the offense has got to be there too because that defense was one of the best in bear history a couple years ago offense could do anything that could go anywhere 
So what about the offense, Justin Minkley? What about the quarterback position? Because that is the most important position on the field, and it is the biggest question. Well, the first thing I think we can take away, let's take the whole running game part out of it. And there are a lot of criticisms, of course, of Matt Nagy, but I think one of the big ones that I have a problem with, and this was semi-addressed earlier to a lesser degree, had to be by far and away that we know what Mitch Trubisky is capable of when he's actually able to play his own game. Um, I joked earlier about, uh, for Matt Nagy, it's basically the whole that's not my scheme thing. And it seems like it is a conflict of interest. And the other, while they know Mitch's strengths, they don't want to play to it. And... It's shown to be a problem. Like, when we watch Mitch Trubisky, there, there are certain things that we know he can't do. We, we've talked about the footwork at times. We know that if he's a strictly a pocket passer, that he's very inaccurate on a large scale. And not just inaccurate, he winds up overthrowing a lot of his receivers. We watched last season that when he threw the ball, to anyone not named Allen Robinson, that it was very hard for that chemistry even during the game. So one of the things that kind of aggravated me was Taylor Gabriel has proven to be a very good receiver, and he can be another target. He proved it with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I mean, yes, they had other targets, don't get me wrong. But the majority amount of the time, and it, and it became a punchline later on, was whenever Mitch Trubisky threw to Taylor Gabriel, he would overthrow by some degree. And he would overthrow constantly when he was in the pocket. Now, you get him outside the pocket, it's a whole different story. It seems like the, the playbook actually opens up, and Mitch looks like he is a threat with the ball in his hand. It doesn't matter if it's running the ball. Yes, we know he's good at that. He is a dual threat when it comes to running the ball. But will he do it? The big thing that I consider is when it comes to Mitchell Trubisky and whether he does it or not, here's a thing that I think the Bears have to get out of the habit of. They have been hell-bent on trying to protect Mitchell Trubisky. I don't care if it's the coaches or, or anyone within the organization. You can tell that there, Mitch has been coddled a bit. Yes. And when he's actually thrown out there, when he's told, okay, you're going to be on your own, it's at very awful times. And I would think that those would be for learning experiences. But if those are for learning experiences, why do you continually try to coddle him? Look, I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm not saying there, there's stuff he doesn't want to do and he's lazy. I'm saying that the coaches at a point have to say, you have to take the chains off and say, go. And this is, as I said at the beginning of this, this is why addressing the Matt Nagy issue with quarterback is very important because it is, at the, at the end of the day, it's a conflict of schemes. Mitch isn't running his scheme. He doesn't like that. And... That's why we've had as much conflict as at the quarterback position as we have. I mean, watch the games, especially the Dallas game. And watch some of the other games. I mean, even the New England game. 
Matt Nagy's first year. You can tell that Mitch has the potential to actually stay in games when he has the opportunity and isn't hindered by staying in the pocket for at least 50% of the game. Yeah, and, and that's another thing I noticed from that Dallas game. Once again, if you would let Mitch run, if you would get it. But, Justin, they did the same thing with Jay Cutler. For yeah. whatever reason, the Bears can bring in all these guys that they want. They're supposed to be offensive gurus. They just don't let quarterbacks out of the pocket, and I don't get it because the games where Mitch is out of the pocket is when he's at his best. It's, it's that simple. But you got to get – I think Nick Foles – could save Matt Nagy. Let me that's explain it, why. That's Let me explain what it why. actually comes down to. Because Nagy doesn't trust Trubisky. He doesn't. He doesn't like him. He doesn't trust him. However, Nagy's worked with Nick Foles. I think if Nick Foles and Nagy trust each other, it could save Matt Nagy's career because as of right now, when Nagy gets fired, I don't know who hires him. But if he can turn the ship around with Nick Foles, then they could be in great shape. Because I just I just don't think he believes in Mitch enough to call plays like he wants to. Because I wonder, does he really want to call those screens? Like, he does them, and that isn't right, so he should be thought less of for that. But does he want does he want to do that? Does he want to call a screen on every play? There's stuff where he gets too cute and does stupid things, like the Cordero Patterson direct snap I mentioned earlier. But does he really want to do that? If the answer is no, the Nick Foles could help him. And some of the Nick Foles that I watched, what I liked was there was a play in particular from last year against the Kansas City Chiefs in, does that be week one? Foles gets rushed, a lot of pressure. He is able to have some presence, climb the pocket, but still keep the eyes downfield and hit a receiver. And he does show any level of field reading ability, which is automatically better than Mitch. I don't think Mitch is an idiot. I don't think he's a bad guy. He seems okay. He's been coddled, but that's not his fault. You know, the turn off all the TVs is make funnable, but I don't I don't hate Mitch for Mitch. He he seems I hate Ben Roethlisberger for Ben Roethlisberger because he just seems like a mean guy. But Mitch Mitch seems okay enough. He, you know, he's just a twenty something. But I just I, I just think he's a football bump. See, but but then we have to go you back know, that's to me and a lot of people. I just think he's a bum. I don't think they're bad. I like the people that I call bums or whatever, unless they've actually done something publicly that shows that they're bad people. I don't really think these guys are bad people. Like I spent my entire career at Western, and I'm elevating my Western patch and my polo right now, ripping people on the radio. Coaches, players for doing badly. But you know what? All them people still like me. I tore Jared Elliott up on radio shows Mondays after Western games. But if he saw me in the hallway, he would give me a big handshake and a big happy smile and ask me how I was doing and 
exchange pleasantries. I never had anybody get pissed at me for how I talked about them because I have a distinction where I really don't like a guy, but it's because they're, it, but it's as a coach. Unless they've done something, but I don't hate Mitch's. And Minkley pointed this out, so I wanted to point this out as well. I don't think Mitch is dumb. I just don't think he's a good quarterback because he can't. He cannot field read. He only had a year of college. Now, could it be that Mitch goes to another destination and in two years becomes the quarterback he was supposed to be? Sure. It could be that he just needs seven years of football because, remember, Patrick Mahomes did, oh, crap, what show was it? Hard Knocks? No. Oh, okay. Barber. It's something with a barber shop or something. It was something like with LeBron. It was on HBO. And he's talking and he goes, yeah, I just kind of learned to read defenses halfway through last year. You know, I I knew how to put the ball in places, but I kind of didn't understand how to see it before the snap. And I was like, um, uh, what? So he won an MVP and he personally didn't think he knew how to read defenses yet. Uh So, and that's a guy that played a ton in college. So maybe it takes Mitch six years to figure it out. Maybe this is something we have to accept. But I don't think the Bears have time for that because I think their competition window is closed before he figures it out, which is another reason why he was the wrong guy to draft. So I think that's why, to some level, the Nick Foles thing makes sense because the Bears window is getting shorter. And could it be that Trubisky winds up being a good NFL quarterback? Yeah. Could, could be that he winds up being a good football player. I don't think so. But I could see it as a possibility. But I just think it takes too long for the Bears' competition window. Here's something that I think has to be countered, though. Okay. Some of the stuff you said, like, you know, he wanted the TVs off at facilities. And let's just say, you know, even throwing the ball, too. This This should all be on the coaches, though. I mean, I understand what you're saying, that maybe he may be developing over time and he still has a good shot. But, here, but here's my take on this. When you're talking about coaches <clears throat> and quarterbacks, and you know, that is your top marriage within a franchise Yep. In, in the NFL. Yep. The problem becomes... In a, in a situation like this, where we know the guy has the talent, we know his strengths, but the coach doesn't because he just doesn't play along with that. The uh, the problem with Mitch has been, and I'll, I'll go back to the whole TV thing where he didn't turn the TVs on. That is the situation of you coddle him too much instead of letting him face the lights. And... The Bears are a franchise who they haven't had a pretty good quarterback since the 1940s. And I know fans don't like hearing this, and they don't want to hear about the draft in which Trubisky is there, but they're going to have to deal with these two things for this simple reason. The franchise is desperate for a quarterback in the 21st century that's actually good to some level. 
But in order to have that, you cannot baby them. And you cannot have this coddling mentality of this guy is the future. We have to treat it well. Look, I understand that Mahomes needed a year before he got on the field. Coincidentally, Matt Nagy left and the Chiefs offense got better. Throwing that out there. Some of these other teams, I mean, there are some guys we have exceptions to, like Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. But some of these guys, like Andrew Luck, and you're seeing it with Lamar Jackson, especially with the Ravens, where they haven't had a really good quarterback. And... Yeah, okay, Lamar had to sit on the bench eight weeks, but when he went out, it was basically go out and play. I mean, this man took hits because he was running the football. And I want to bring Lamar Jackson into something else here. We saw this in the postseason, and I said this is why the Titans were going to win that playoff game. Because Lamar Jackson is still struggling how to throw the football. And... Why is this important? Because we've seen with Trubisky, especially when he's in the pocket, that this is the closest situation we can actually analyze and say, maybe it's not all Trubisky. We can actually say, like, okay, maybe, maybe we have to take a look at the coaches. To realize that Baltimore's coaching staff had to basically work with Lamar Jackson every week after that playoff loss to the Celtics, to try and work on his throwing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and face it, ESPN did a thing over this, this past summer saying, if you don't have your throw as a quarterback at a point, you're not going to do well. Well, guess what? The guy won the MVP. But he got exposed in the playoffs by how the Titans played. And in a lot of ways with Mitch, the coaches haven't been on him as much as they should. And you, and you sit, but you've seen it with the rest of the team too, where they haven't done it on all types of levels. But if you're talking about Mitch Trubisky in this sense, Mitch needs to actually face a lot of this on his own. I mean, we can talk about the criticisms on the radio, the TV, quarterback. Mm-hmm. How do you think Kurt Warner felt? Being with the Giants and being ridiculed and moving around to different teams. And, oh, by the way, yeah, okay, the, he was in another league before he came into the NFL. But he had to learn once he got in. Mm-hmm. And this is my problem with the franchise, where they have not taken this seriously. And now this brings us to the whole Nick Foles thing. Now, and, and I want to, I'm not going to go ad nauseum about it. Because we know what Nick Foles has done. Uh, yep. But to turn, this is now another Band-Aid, Ryan Pace, and the Bears in general just want to slap on and say, this is going to get us to a championship. No, it's not. Because the guy that, sh- that gives you your best chance to get to a championship is not being developed on that scale. I mean, what is the big thing with quarterbacks that we have seen for the past five years? It doesn't matter if they've gone to a Super Bowl or not. The revolution of the quarterback game is being ground mobile, running outside the pocket, making plays. This isn't just a Russell Wilson or a Mike Vick thing. 
This is a, something that teams have noticed that they have to participate in now to at least get into the playoffs. And it is not being done with Chicago because they don't know how to utilize this. Or, and, and how about this? And, and we can make another point. I think you can make another point here. What it, We're talking about Mitch being outside the pocket, right? And I yeah. know we were, we were going in-depth about free agent signings, but this all relates, and I think this is fine personally. But anyway, look, talking about how Mitch relates to work outside the pocket. What's the number one way you can work outside the pocket? Play action pass, right? Yeah. So, if you run the same running play three times, back to back to back, and it doesn't work the third time, and then you then completely abandon the running game. Is your play action effective? Absolutely not. Why? Because you're not running the ball well in the first place. There's no disguises with the run. There, there's nothing. They're running exactly. straight at the same place. It's terrible. So, if you can't run, can't play. Again, comes back to run the football. Everybody talks about how this is the era of the quarterback, but the teams with great running backs and great running games win Super Bowls. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl not only because of Patrick Mahomes, but because Damian Williams played the best game of his life. The Niners got to the Super Bowl because they had a running back play out of his mind for two games. Not because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Not that Garoppolo was bad. But I'm just simply saying, they fit the hot hand. Raheem Mostert went nuts. They have several running backs that are of top caliber. And uh, uh, Jarek McKinnon's a scat back. They have all different kinds of running backs. The Seahawks Super Bowl teams have an incredible defense. Also Marshawn Lynch, who, is a really, who has a really good power run. The Eagles, when they won the Super Bowl, J.H.I.E. Uh, I think LeGarrette Blunt was there. Darren Sproles, multifaceted. All these guys have really good running backs, and I just, I just don't see that with the Bears. They just don't, they don't value it. Like, it's not. Is it as important as the quarterback? I would argue it is. It's more because the things that separate the good teams and the championship winners is that position, and the Bears don't spend any money at it. But anyway. We're going to wrap up the deep dive unless you got anything more to say. Um, I was going to say, should we talk about the whole Foles and, you know, the, the opposite with Foles at this point? I mean, it, it is a, something to talk about, just, just quickly. Okay, sure. Go ahead. I, I, so going into the whole Foles thing, I, I think I said this on the rap sheet. I don't view this false thing as a good move. In fact, I put a lot of the things that the Bears did in a lot of categories as, like you do, I, I consider it a fail. But I consider this one a fail in and of itself, most importantly, because it's very hard to watch film, of course, from last year. Because he gets injured in the first quarter. He had a miraculous first drive. We knew that. Um, but even when he came back, it, it just looked like he was rushed in. And now he's in another city where the quarterback situation is utter crap. And it's utter crap because if it's it, of its own self-making. Now, one thing that 
there are a lot of things Foles can do well. Um, but I think a big problem that I have with this was the compensatory fourth round pick that you got from cutting Mike Davis is then sent to the Jaguars before the Jaguars even offered their full option of the, of their deal. And which is just hilarious in and of itself. So you're out one draft pick. The other one having to do that uh, while you take a lot of the salary part on, you have no idea who you have a quarterback again. And we are, while we know Bowles has a special connection to Philadelphia, and I'm not going to knock on any of that because we know he's pretty much a great player when it comes to it. He won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, and but he played deep in the season, too. The problem yeah. with this now becomes Foles wasn't good in the regular season. And, oh, by the way, he wasn't really good in the Phil- outside the Philadelphia market. So if Bears are... If Bears analysts and fans are expecting this to be a Super Bowl caliber year, you're kind of going to have to ride with Trubisky for most of it again. And by the way, Matt Nagy's constant, this is my scheme, is going to be implemented throughout another hellish year. This is a quarterback you lost to in the playoffs, mostly because your defense couldn't hold, and... Oh, by the way, <laughs> adding to it, um, while Foles can take hits, he has also proved, like Trubisky, that he can only play a certain point when he gets injured, barring further on throughout the course of the season. I, I don't remember the last time the man played a season fully healthy which is something I have not heard much of, which should be talked about more. Because let's say Foles wins this QB competition or whatever the heck it is. There is a good chance that he possibly gets injured during the course of the season. And while we can sit back and complain about Trubisky, we have to understand this man played with a separated shoulder for at least half a season. And he did, I thought he did a pretty damn good job with the situation he was given. But that's not what people are going to be looking at. While we know Bears fans have just short tempers and whatnot, especially when teams lose, we have to look at the bigger picture here. And that is, I, I don't know what to make of this team at the quarterback position because I already have a feeling how this is going to go, and it's not going to be pretty. Well, look, I, I think that I think that Nick Foles can at least buoy the Bears because I think he's better than Mitch. He can do think better than Mitch. And I will remind, when Nick Foles was playing in his best in Philly, he was under, now I think Doug Peterson's a better head coach, but he was under the leadership of Doug Peterson, who is from the Reed Tree. Nagy, also from the Reed Tree, also worked with Foles. Foles knows him and what Nagy likes really well. And I think the two if can mesh really well, and I think that helps at least. My and their schedule is also the schedule is also easier this year because they had third place finish last year. That's true. But who was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles the year they won the Super Bowl? I couldn't tell you. That's Frank Wright.
Okay, you know, Frank, Frank knows what to do. He knows how and when to run the ball. That's true. That's why Frank Reich's such a good coach for coach for Indy. Yeah. If they could get it together a little bit. Just a little bit. I wish the Bears would have hired Frank Reich. Because remember, they called him. Yeah. They had an interview. They really should have gotten Frank Reich. Hey, they almost got Bruce Arians. Too. Yeah, I was going to say, I just another Bears thing. I think Frank Reich might be the next Bruce Arians. The dude the Bears should have gotten. Um, they, the Colts were, I had the Colts actually. Who did I have winning the division last year? It wasn't the Texans. I can't remember if it was the Jaguars or the Colts. But I thought I had the Colts at least as the wild card. And they were one MCL spraying away from yep. making the playoffs. Yep. So. Because Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have done an awesome job. Yeah. And sometimes you have hard luck, and then sometimes you luck into great season because your coach and GM are just buffoons. All right. Anyway, look. <laughs> it's time to wrap up the entree. That was about an hour and ten minute long entree. So hey, you got your you got your listeners worth out of that one, folks. And if you're still sticking around, <laughs> sticking around, stick around. Thank you so much. This is believe it or not, even though it's a long time. This is I oh I'll speak for myself. It's fun for me. Hopefully, it's fun for me. This is fun for us to do. We enjoy this, and we hope you guys enjoy it too. Uh, but anyway, on to the delicioso deserto. Your favorite sports documentaries. Off the top of my head, and, and I, this is the reason that I brought this on is because I watched the first part of uh, Vice is doing uh, another season of Dark Side of the Ring, which is a series of wrestling documentaries. Uh, the second, the full thing is aired tomorrow night, but they, because of Verona, they released the first part of the Chris Benoit documentary early. And while it's horribly sad in the, in a terrible story, they did an awesome job with it. And it was really, really, it was a really, really well done. And I'm really excited to watch part. I, I might, I may just watch part one again, to be honest. And then part two tomorrow. And that's saying something because I'm not a person that watches things more than once. Like, as far as, like, if I know the result, unless I'm doing something incredibly specific, like watching Robert Quinn tape, if I don't <laughs> watch... No, no, but I'm just saying, like, I don't watch sports games again for the most part. I'll watch moments, but I don't watch games. I don't, I don't watch movies on repeat too much, other than, like, when I was a kid. Because I already know everything. I know what's going to happen, right? But that was so good. And we talked about like 30 for 30 ideas last week. And it's kind of the same train of thought. So your favorite sports documentaries. Justin, I'll have you start. Sports documentaries. Um, I got to tell you, I really love the Vic two-parter that ESPN did. Yeah, I thought that one was pretty good. I, I consider it good if I'm I'm not just learning stuff, but if it goes on in my time and I'm actually learning stuff or going mm-hmm. on. And I think one of the big things that really stood out about the Vic uh, two-part series was we really, uh, the collective audience does not know some of the culture that Mike Vic grew up with. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they left some of the, uh, well, the more gory details out of some certain aspects, but... There was a lot 
to take in that when you finish it, it's like you are happy that he's in, like he learned something and whatnot. Um, I thought there was a 30 for 30 I watched on the Orlando Magic. Yeah, uh, the Penny and Shaq one. I, I don't well, I don't know if it was more Penny and Shaq related, but how um, the Magic were before they came, and then obviously during their tenure and after Shaq leaves, I thought that was very interesting because you know that the team is this least, Magic moment. Yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah, the you know the team is actually pretty good historically. But you don't know some of the early stuff, like why they got a team or just the location even. Yeah. So it it made a lot of sense. Yeah, Um, this magic moment is good. I like that one too. Some of the NFL football life ones are really good. Uh, See, I I, haven't watched one of those. I've watched the ones involving my favorite team's players because obviously those ones stand out. Yeah. Um, the Michael Strahan one I loved because I did a report on him in middle school. Uh, I consider him a very interesting person and it, it's funny to see how he's come so far. I mean, this guy is literally a national TV figure Yep. and, and, and all he did like during his football days was just terrorize quarterbacks. So th- those are some of my favorite ones. I think L.A. to Marino is one of my favorites. Um, one of my favorites, as far as like just learning about something, was the first 30 for 30 they ever did, Pony Excess, on SMU. That was one of my favorites, just learning experiences. Yeah. I was, my, my girlfriend was over, but she was upstairs working on stuff, so I was, I came downstairs and I plopped on the TV, and... I caught most of the third part of the Celtics-Lakers documentary, and that was really good. I love the first part much better, but The U is my favorite, I think. Okay. I think The U, either Elway to Marino, just because of how it's presented and the general managing thing, and I really like that. It's really close. I kind of go back, but my favorite is either Elway to Marino or The U part one. And I am so looking forward to this Jordan 10-parter. This is going to be great. It's and I'm so awesome. Th- I'm thankful they're putting this out a month early because of the Rona. Oh, did they out. actually say that they are? I uh, Well, I think they are. They're supposed to, but... But they changed it from June 2nd to coming soon, so they might dump it early. Oh, yeah. But the trailer, they're talking to Jordan. They've got Magic there. They've got Williams there. It's great. Pat Riley is there. That's all I need to know. And Pat Riley too, yeah. Um, the other one, uh, I can't remember what thirty for thirty it is, but it's one of my favorite stories. Is uh, the story of the Dream Team, the scrimmage on the Dream Team, with uh, with Michael and Magic wanting to go at each other, and Magic wanting to prove he's still the king of the NBA, and Larry laying on the sidelines going, "No, you're not. No, you're not. Not anymore." <laughs> um, and uh, and and uh, Bob Daly trying to calm it down, get him to stop, so they don't tear each other apart, because there's all the old guys versus all the young guys, and Carl Malone's ripping up Char- and Charles Barkley are beating each other up. I love that story. I wish the NBA was more like that now. 
Um, the Bad Boys is another awesome one. Four Days in October is cool. The Boston, New York one. Mostly because of uh, how dope... Is it Kevin Millar? Is that his first, last name? I gotta make sure he's... He's the he's a host on uh, on uh, I can't remember what the show's called. Intentional talk. Yeah, Kevin Millar. Just how cool that dude is, and how he's videotaping everything on the plane, and he's like doing. They show like vlogs of him and David Ortiz. Like there's a bunch of fun stuff. Yeah, better than there's, Charles Oakley and uh, James Dolan. They need to make something about that. <laughs> I think Another they're going thing- to court soon. Wait, really? Yeah, I, I read something. Oh, new. my God. That's what Dolan needs. More of those. <laughs> did you ever watch Trojan War? I did not. The Pete Carroll USC one? I've read I've read about some of it, but no. Oh, you should go watch it. That's a good. Oh, The Last Days of Night is another good one. Oh. Bobby Knight one? That's really good. But I, I see I knew some of that stuff because uh, John Feinstein spent a year with them back in the day, and I read that book. Really funny to watch Last Days of Night with somebody who doesn't know anything about sports or is knows very little and see their reaction when Bobby Knight whips the chair at a Purdue player in Assembly Hall. Oh, my God. It's a really funny reaction. Um... Those are, I mean, there's some darn good ones. What about your favorite sports movies? I don't really have favorite sports movies. Really? Strangely. I, I, well, as you know, I, I'm one of those, I haven't really seen a lot of sports movies, so I can't really tell you any. Moneyball is my favorite movie ever. Is it really? Yes. I would greatly encourage you to watch it. Happy Gilmore is, it's not a true sports movie, but it's oh, it's a movie I grew up watching over and over and over again as a kid. So that one, it's not, a, again, not a sports movie, but related. So it's one of my favorites. Um, a lot of people said Draft Day was like the worst movie they ever saw. I personally didn't think so. I thought it was fine. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think a good sports movies. Oh, Remember the Titans is good. Hoosiers is good. I, you know what, I'm gonna, did you ever, you ever seen Rudy? No. I don't like Rudy. It could be really shocking to a lot of people, I'm not a big Rudy fan. I didn't really like the movie. I like the scene where they stand up for him, but I didn't really like Rudy. So, alright, well, if you've got nothing else, uh, Justin. I actually do. I'm actually searching for the current news of what I was looking for. Okay. Um, oh, this so, is a different thing I was looking for. Um, so, I'm trying to look for the NHL Board of Governors meeting. Oh, that's right. Um, as of right now, when we have done this recording... Um, it's there 348 is, CSD. Yeah, um, I don't see anything 
about this Board of Governors meeting yet. Um, what I can tell you, some of the issues they're supposed to be uh, focused on include financial issues. That's going to be the primary focus, expanding upon that. There's the potential for escrow to be discussed, covering various aspects of the CBA, uh, with a tandem likely with the NHLPA. Um, and everyone is deep in the process of contingency financial planning. That was said by one of the people there covering the event. So that is what I'm looking at right now. Other than that, I don't think there is anything else. Uh, any other quick tidbits I would like to throw out there? Uh, how do you like Mariano Rivera's take on the Houston Astros? Ooh, I didn't see it. He literally said every player, everyone in that organization should be banned for life. Para Astros. Ah, here we go. Fuck science stealing and Pete Rose. Let's see. Read the quote if I can get my computer to work fast enough. go uh is there a transcript for this or is there just darn i don't think there's a transcript crap oh there actually is something there actually is a, they actually did transcript something uh about something that you and i have talked about justin before on your show the rap sheet about oh guys possibly getting like benched or cut or the guy that is suing the Astros for costing him his MLB career. Mariano yeah. Rivera yes. discussed yes. the individual impact. And this is what Rivera said. I respect all baseball people and organizations. What they did was wrong. Definitely wrong. You don't do that, period. You don't do that in baseball, any sport. You don't do that. And that's why I don't like it. I don't care who you are. You're taking an opportunity from somebody else winning the championship or the batting title or the being the best pitcher. Whatever it is, you're taking food from families. Somebody might get fired because you cheated, and that's not right. True. And yeah. that's... Would you consider him one of the best pitchers to ever do it? Yes. Even though he's just a closer? I would. It, I I say just sarcastically at my end. I, I, I don't say that. I don't think he is just a reliever. You realize... Everyone knew what pitch was coming, and they still couldn't. Yep. That's what makes him the best. He well, threw cutters for dang, dang near two decades, and nobody could hit him still. And he still saved a ridiculous amount of games. He's the only guy good enough that Jackie Robinson's widow would let wear 42. Yeah. Phew. So anyway, so I think that's it for the sports fixings this week in about two hours and 30 minutes. If you would like to listen to the first episode of the Sports Fixins or any future episodes of the Sports Fixins, right now you can hear us on Anchor and Spotify. You're listening to us on one of the two or just follow the link. Uh, if you follow the link from Facebook, that's where you can look us up on. Uh, there is a logo coming very soon, and we will share the details with that when it comes. I'm expected to get the first drafts tonight, and I'll send those to you, Justin. Um, a very good guy who's... Doing some stuff for an athlete at the moment. 
making some graphics and, and stuff like that. And uh, he's agreed to help us out, and I appreciate that. He'll probably be on the show himself um, in the semi-near future. Uh, honestly, hoping to have a guest next week, if Justin is okay with that, or in the next couple of weeks. That would be something really cool to do. Bring in a third person, do some cross-promotional stuff, do some really exciting things. Uh, big stuff planned here. Also, when we get that logo, we're going to start ramping up on the Facebook page. Next week is Pick an App. That will be debuting. We'll have a couple of our two out of the three appetizers will be decided by us. The one appetizer will be picked by you, the fans of the Sports Fixings podcast. I'm thinking maybe Friday or Saturday for that to let kind of the, the week's sports news happen. Could be Sunday. I don't know. Um, nothing's ironed down, obviously. Thank you very much for listening. Please, if you're on the go like the Facebook page, you can find us. Sports Fixins is the Facebook page. Give us a share, share it around on your Facebook, share it to all your friends, send it messages, whatever you want to do. Spread the word about this podcast. Please go subscribe to the podcast so that you can get it directly downloaded to your phone through the powers of the internet or get notifications for it whenever it comes up. Justin Minkley, where can folks find your musings outside of this podcast? Well, one thing that I I actually wanted to add a couple things on to that, and that was I hope I can say the thing about picking an appetizer on my radio show on okay. the rap sheet. Hopefully uh, people can hit me up at RadioWPNA.com. You can do that either when I'm on the air, when I'm recording, or just overall, I sh- there should be an answer that could come to you, and we'll even say thank you for the feedback. Um, you can also hit me up, as well as email, of course, jdminkley94 at yahoo.com. We're both on Facebook. Of course, we run the Sports Fixins page. Maybe I can reply directly to you. Inbox. And, of course... We, whenever we get some more stuff going, because I know we talked about a YouTube account too, maybe, or a Twitter account, uh, creating stuff for that too and responding to people. And of course, my blog. Um, obviously, I'm going to have to do some things within the next uh, couple weeks because, hey, sports isn't around, but I have to talk about something. You can at jdsportscorner.wordpress.com. All right. Thank you very much, Justin Minkley. And week two of this adventure is done. Everybody have a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Bye-bye, everybody.